Hi, and welcome to the Social Angle Podcast. I'm Vinny, and I'm joined today by Jeremy Cross, a professional storyteller for iTelligence North America, to talk about the importance of brand storytelling for business. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's get right into the question. So what is a brand story, and why is it important for businesses to have one? Uh, well, I would say the customers no longer trust in companies or brands or logos. I, I think that uh, customers and, and future clients are really looking for that human element, and they're looking for trust, and that's not coming through traditional brand marketing where I have a logo and you trust my logo. And now, I wouldn't say that that is something that is applicable to everybody. I mean, honestly, people are still going to see Nike and they're going to see the swoosh, and they're going to trust in that. But it's not. But if you really look at it, I mean, Nike has spent decades defining what the swoosh means, right. the story behind that. And so I think, you know, as we look at this for, say, the mid-market or the smaller company that might be looking at what kind of, you know, where am I going with this? What is my story? I think customers are looking for that. When I thought about this, I really thought television as an example. I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at something like maybe you look at an AMC series like Mad Men or Breaking Bad, we're not talking episodic story here. We're talking something that has continuity mm -hmm. and cohesiveness, and it's not episodic in nature. And I think the way that we market can't be episodic in nature. I think it really has to have that long-term story to it. And, and so, therefore, as a brand, we need to be thinking about what our story is and how are we going to infuse this into our marketing? How are we going to create an element of depth and something that elicits honesty and transparency and ultimately that sort of vulnerability that people are looking for uh, in order to create trust? Right, right. Okay, so how does a company come up with their brand story and, and where should they be telling it? So I don't think this happens overnight. I think in my experience, this involves a number of individuals within the organization. Uh, I think depending on the size of the organization, and I can speak to us specifically with uh, intelligence, you know, we're a European-based company, globally, that is. And so being based there, the way that they handle story in our European offices versus what we do here in the U.S., it varies greatly. Uh, and I think specifically if you even look a little bit further i mean we're based specifically in sap and so a lot of our story is then dictated by what sap is doing right so i think when you develop your story i think that there are those complexities that you have to consider um it, it ultimately when it comes down to it uh it is what is it that makes you unique uh, okay. What is it? Maybe looking looking at culture is certainly one. I think culture helps to develop story. Uh, and, and I think, you know, as you look at all of these things, um, you know, corporate messaging, for example, doesn't embrace storytelling. Uh, and in my, in my humble opinion, it's not effective when you look at something from a corporate level. It needs to be broken down. What came to mind when I started thinking about this is, Jay Bear in his book, Talk Triggers, you know, he provides these great examples about how companies are moving away from a unique selling proposition to something that is uh, related to the identity 
of a particular organization. And I think that's what you have to start to get into when you think story. It is what makes you, you, what makes you unique. And it is, I wish there was a magic, um, you know, a magic spell that you could cast that all of a sudden this is going to appear. But I think it takes a lot of uh, honesty and introspection when you look at that to say, what is it that's going to drive our story? Interesting. Okay. Uh, again, we're talking to Jeremy Cross from iTelligence North America. Now, uh, Jeremy, this is the Social Angle podcast. We focus on social media uh, in our industry. So my next question is, how big a role should social media play in brand storytelling? I think that uh, social media is obviously pivotal to brand storytelling. And I think that brand storytelling, depending on the channel that you're using, and I think actually it's somewhat agnostic of channel, is, is really there. People are looking for story. Go down, if you're on LinkedIn, for example, and look at the content that garners the most interest. It's not simply a picture with a lead saying, click here. It is raw marketing, um, video marketing, that is capturing the attention. And it is something with an honest sort of look into that company. I'll give an example here. Um, Myself and three of my colleagues uh, about three weeks ago we participated in something called the Cincinnati Scurry, which is, I think, um, the show, The, the Amazing Race, uh, right. plus downtown, downtown Cincinnati. Okay. And this was, a, this was an event that was to bring attention to uh, teen mental health and mental health disorders uh, and, you know, nationally, but specifically looking at Cincinnati. While myself and my three colleagues were doing this, which was, it was an amazing event, I was there posting video and photo from us at the event just to show here is, a, here is an element of what we do as an organization that is not related to SAP. Interesting. That okay. is completely honest, and one might look at our LinkedIn feed, which you would think, LinkedIn, oh my gosh, it's supposed to be so just professional. I think LinkedIn is where you blur the lines and where people are going to see your story coming through. That that's and, very interesting. Yes, because I, Jeremy, I follow you on LinkedIn and I see what you're doing, and what you're doing is a lot different than what from what most people are doing. Well, and I think you have to think of LinkedIn differently. I think LinkedIn, it's not Facebook, so there's that line of you're not going to talk about what you you know you're not going to take a picture of your food from where you were eating this last weekend and post it there. But I think with LinkedIn and developing one's personal brand, I think it's important to show that honesty and vulnerability. One of the things that I've really been focusing on recently is this aspect of being vulnerable and embracing imperfection. And that when it comes down to video content that I might be putting out there that helps to tell a story, I know that it doesn't have to be the perfect cut. It can show some of that imperfection there. And whenever I work with one of our subject matter experts internally, when I'm shooting with them, the first thing I tell them is, I want you to, I know you, I know you as an expert know your material. I know this for a fact. So I want you, instead of getting up there and and talking and technical speak, I want you to envision it's you and me. We've gone after work. We're sitting down. We're having a beer and you're sharing this content with me over a beer. 
And amazingly enough, when they don't believe that the camera is rolling and they look at it through the lens of, I don't have to be perfect, it helps to tell that story. Stories are imperfect, and we embrace those imperfections. And that's one of the things that I think you look at when you look at um, you know, channels specifically. And I think that plays across all channels. Sure. Whether you are on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook, there is this element of embracing the imperfect nature of telling that story and it helps to develop trust. Okay. Wow, that's interesting stuff. So um, so we mentioned LinkedIn, we mentioned Facebook. Um, do you have any other networks that you think uh, a brand should be telling its story? Um, any networks that you would stay away from? So I think it all depends upon what industry you're in and whether or not you're looking at a B2B or a B2C type of a focus. Uh, we're also, so my focus with Itelligence is I use LinkedIn use Twitter. Those are the two that I find that sure. if uh, a customer is vetting us, those are the two that they're looking for. Uh, we used to be on Facebook. However, I looked at the data and I pulled us from Facebook specifically because, number one, I wasn't looking to do the pay-to-play. Okay. And then at the end of the day, that wasn't where our, um, our, our potential clients were coming from. I mean, that's in an SAP environment, they're not going to Facebook. So I pulled us from Facebook completely. Uh, for something like Instagram, if, I mean, Instagram's wonderful, wonderful for telling stories, but I think you have to be in the right space in order to use it. For us, we, and using this as the example, I can't go out to my consultants and say, when you're on site, I want you to post X, Y, or Z content to, say, Instagram. And that simply comes down to, you know, we have to have, permission from each of our clients to reference them in some way, shape, or form. And so we're sort of locked down there. I mean, otherwise, I think Instagram would be great for telling the story of what is it like for our client, our, uh, our consultants to be on site, uh, to be able to tell that. I think uh, I could tell you from our HR perspective, they would love that because it would help them with recruiting. But you have to be careful sure. based on the industry you're in. If I were in a B2C space, uh, let's say I'm selling sunglasses, I absolutely would be tapping into something like Instagram because Instagram is going to allow me not only to tell my story, but then to encourage my followers to tell their story as well, because people are looking to connect. Right. They right. want something to relate to. And so therefore, I think you have to look at your uh, social media platform and you have to say, does this help me relate to my clients? Sure. So you actually pulled from from Facebook. That's a bold move, Jeremy. I got to I got to tell you, but I do agree with you. The pay to play model is in place for everyone. Uh, we do it all the time. Um, you know, it's the algorithms are killing organic reach. So um, you know, I could see why you pulled uh, from Facebook. Um, it's not the right move for everyone um, in our industry. Mm -hmm. Our industry, the promotional products industry, is everyone's on Facebook. Um, but you know. It, like you said, it's you know a different space. So, on to the next question. So you you call yourself a professional storyteller. It's it's right there on your LinkedIn profile. Um, now you obviously have an, a great understanding of brand storytelling. But does a company need to have a good storyteller to tell a good brand story? Yeah, I I, I would say yes. So, and I have a little bit of bias here. I do consider myself a professional storyteller. 
And I came from a teaching background. I came from English theater and journalism, and I've been on stage for most of my life. A teaching is all about storytelling. And so, therefore, it, I, I came with this experience into my marketing roles here of being able to feel comfortable telling story. Mm-hmm. I think that every organization should have the ability to tell story. Do they have to have a professional storyteller? Not exactly. But I would say if you're an entrepreneur, you know your story. You know why you started sure. your organization. Sure. That is, I mean, that's part of your core culture. Mm-hmm. And you should be able to, whether or not that's in your elevator pitch or your talk trigger, you should be able to start to tell that story. And that's the compelling piece that whether or not you consider yourself a professional, you sure as heck know your story. And it's the ability to know it should be a priority that you're sharing that story with your clients and with your future clients because that helps you connect. That's a good point because I think a lot of people who, you know, they're entrepreneurs, they're small companies, they know what their brand is all about. They just might not know how to tell the story yet. So once they know how to do that, then telling the brand story is, should come natural to them. Absolutely. I think brand story is really just the technical term. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it just simply goes back to we are, I mean, look back to Joseph Campbell's book of A Hero with a Thousand Faces. I mean, his whole concept was there are only a set number of stories And we know them all. We know the archetype. We know the format of those stories. And it's just a matter of being able to tell. And we are attracted to story. And it doesn't have to be, quote, brand storytelling. Just take it back to the simple idea of I'm telling a story of my journey. I'm telling a story of maybe I started my company because I saw a problem. And it's that whole archetype of overcoming the monster. You know, and my right. company was created as a way to help, you know, overcome that or go sure. on this quest. It all goes back to the basics of storytelling, whether it is a brand story, if the way you're focusing there, or just a story in general. Yep. So, again, we're talking to Jeremy Cross, a uh, brand storyteller from iTelligence North America. Um, now, Jeremy, my industry, promotional products industry, um, it's made up of a lot of entrepreneurs, small companies, one to two person operations. Um, they wear many hats. They're very busy. What would you tell someone who says that they don't have time to you know, tell their brand story? Uh, I honestly would say you need to make time. Uh, I know that. I, so let me say that I've not been in the position of starting my own business and spending hours and hours, um, you know, focused on making that business grow and thrive. But what, it doesn't take a lot to, um, to put effort into brand storytelling. And that should come through your marketing. I, I would say that if a company is relying upon nothing more than word of mouth, then and not spending money in actively marketing, I think eventually that's that whole well of word of mouth is going to run out, and you're going to have to think of marketing in some way. And for a smaller company, traditional marketing probably isn't the way to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, using mailers and and so forth. I think it really comes down to again 
that's a perfect opportunity to really tell your story because you can, you're not a large machine. Mm -hmm. I think for smaller mom and pop type shops, it's so easy in the early days to identify and tell your story. And that should be the case whenever you're talking with new clients, whenever you're going to, maybe it's, you know, uh, you're meeting people within your community and you're talking about your business. That's where your story starts to come through. And that's where, and again, I go back to it. I loved, and I highly recommend Jay Bear's book, Talk Triggers. Um, I think for the smaller business, Talk Triggers, that book is a wonderful resource because it gets you thinking about uh, how you can approach your marketing from a completely different point of view. I think another one uh, that would come down to it when you're talking brand marketing, whether that be personal or professional, would be Mark Schaefer's book, Known. That was another one that, that resonated with me, and Mark lays out um, steps to where, as an individual, or even taking this over into a company, how somebody can help themselves become known on, say, in let's say, social media, which will then you could back channel to your organization and help grow that organization. Sure. Sure. So you're definitely well read on this subject too. So the professional brand storyteller is a warranted title, obviously. Um, so Jeremy, um, are there any big brands that are doing great? brand storytelling? And if so, um, which ones uh, are you mindful of? So there are a handful of these that immediately come to mind. I think one of them is Airbnb. I think Airbnb, when it comes down to their storytelling, you know, they're focused on this idea of community and local hospitality. Yep. And that in the time that you're spending, you know, you are renting uh, somebody's place that you're not simply uh, a a customer, but you're really part of the family at that moment. And I think that that is something that certainly with them helps to tell their brand story. I think another one is Warby Parker mm -hmm. and the fact that their, you know, their whole message is glasses don't have to be expensive, but I think the bigger part for them is it's the buy a pair, we give a pair. Mm -hmm. So it's that side of things that Glasses should be accessible to those who need them, and that really plays into their brand story. Uh, I think another one would be the North Face. Mm -hmm. Their never stop, their never stop exploring concept uh, plays into who they are and what they do. And one that I can speak to, I was just, I was at uh, Johnsonville Sausage about two weeks ago. Uh, with my film crew, and we were doing a series of customer success videos up at Johnsonville. Uh, they are a client of ours. And their big thing is when you go there, I tell you what, you immediately, you sense it because it permeates the entire place. Johnsonville's all about their culture. Huh. Uh, it is their people. It is the emphasis they place on their members is what they call them, their coaches and members. Those are the two terms that they use. But if you look at Johnsonville, you even see this through their marketing where they've actually not actively marketed with new video content. It's been about three years. Hmm. And they did an entire series where they had their employees pitch the next commercial for Johnsonville. And that goes that that's hand in hand with the way that they view their members 
wow. is that their members are the, the business, and if I, I'm going to try to get this exactly right here, uh, that their members are not there to help grow the business, but rather the business's help is there to help grow the members. Hmm. Interesting. So there you go. I mean, brand storytelling works. Um, you know, these are a couple of case studies right here. Uh, now, Jeremy, you know, obviously, thank you for your time today. You know, this has been eye-opening. Um, you know, I mentioned that, you know, our members are thirsting for information about brand storytelling. Um, now, uh, I'm going to end this podcast. You call yourself a pop culture junkie. I fashion myself the same. Um, now, you know, I thought about a, a question I can ask you about pop culture, and what came to mind was um, Game of Thrones. You know, the series finale was a couple weeks ago, um, and it was, in my in my opinion, it was terrible. Uh, I don't know what your opinion is yet, but I thought about some of the most, uh, the biggest finales in TV for the past 20 years. So I want to ask you, I want to throw this question out there. Which TV series okay. finale was the worst and why? And here are your options. Game of Thrones... Lost, Sopranos, and Seinfeld. Oh, damn! That's a good question. I threw this question up on Twitter. I'm not going to tell you how how it uh, how it ended up, but I put it on Twitter about a week ago as a poll question, and I'll let you know uh, which one our users voted for after you give me your answer. Uh, all right. So I'm going to work backwards here. Uh, let's say so. Seinfeld sort of ended with just a. Uh, Huh? Type for me, uh, but I was—I don't know what I was expecting with Seinfeld, given the fact you're talking about a show that was based around nothing. nothing. Exactly. I think I think that the the ending was fitting. It left you with a sense of nothing, which is what the show was about. So it never really set me off. Sopranos, Sopranos I was oddly okay with. Uh, I think you know, ending it with with Journey there and Don't Stop Believing mm-hmm. and 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 I don't know how you would have ended that on any other way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, I don't think with the way Sopranos ran that you were ever going to have a hundred percent closure there. Sure. And it's better to leave it open to one's own, um, interpretation, one's own imagination, sure. interpretation. I think that worked. Game of Thrones. I have to say, I read the books up to a certain point, and then my wife and I dropped cable. And so, while I've read about the ending of Game of Thrones, which I, uh, have, I'm familiar with how it ends, I, I can't say that I had any sort of visceral uh, opinion or reaction to it because I didn't see it in real time. Okay. So for me, it has to land on Lost, and. I have over the years, and I still, I've gone back, I've rewatched it. Uh, it was very, and, and here's the spoilers for anybody who's not seen Lost. Sure. Uh, it, for me, this concept of everything that happened on the island happened. And at the very end here, this idea of, okay, they all created this place where they could come back to because they'd experienced this island, you know, this island experience, and they needed a place to come back to, and some died early and some died late, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, they all come back to this one place. Honestly, I liked the idea that the island was purgatory and that that was the, that they were dead all along, sure. and then that's not how it ended up. And right. so for me, it was. I wasn't. I walked away from it thinking I wanted so much more 
from that ending. And so I would I call it the worst? No, it's the most underwhelming for me. Of That's the four. where I would say it's the most of the four of those, it is the most underwhelming. Well, you're right there with our users. They voted lost as um the worst of those four. Um I personally thought Game of Thrones uh, was the worst of the finales. I, I was, I mean, the entire eighth season was just a disappointment for me. I felt rushed. Um, it was a great series, I thought, up until uh, this year, and it just seemed like storylines were just rushed along. Uh, didn't like it. Um, lost, oddly, I, you know, if I wa had to vote for the best of the four, I think I would have voted that one. I had such a, you know, great, I have great memories of that show, and even though it was a little bit of a, a letdown, so to speak. In the grand scheme of things, I enjoyed it. Um, but Seinfeld and Sopranos, you know, I'll use a uh, word they used, underwhelming. Um, I've come to appreciate the Sopranos one more as time has, mm -hmm. has passed. Um, I feel like it's, you know, the ambiguous ending um, just kind of was a, a David Chase thing. You know, David Chase was just saying, goodbye, this is it. This is how I'm going to do it. I don't care what you think. Um, mm -hmm. And I've come to appreciate that. I uh, hated it at first. I was like, wait, is this the end of the show? Uh, <laughs> the fade to black, and you're just like, that's it? Um, yeah. But And Seinfeld was, uh, I loved it when it came out. You know, I've seen it many times since, and it it is underwhelming, but it is what it is, a show about nothing. So that's kind of how they went out with, you know, a finale about really nothing. Um, about nothing. Yeah. So anyway, thank you for your time today, Jeremy. Um, it's Jeremy Cross from Intelligence North America dishing on brand storytelling. Jeremy, hope to have you on again sometime soon. Um, you know, this has been great. We'll see you next time on The Social Angle. <laughs>